0: Thanks for listening to a little more conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara-Byrne. Tonight, they didn't make millions playing hockey or enjoy the perks or fame of the NHL, but communities across Canada have local legends. Journalist and author Ken Reed dedicates his new book to those hometown hockey heroes, and he shares some of those stories tonight with us. Grey Cup festivities are in full swing in Hamilton ahead of Sunday's showdown between the Blue Bombers and the Alouettes. The first time Winnipeg and Montreal have met in the CFL final. Can you imagine? It's been going on for more than a century. The powerhouse Bombers are looking for a third title in four straight trips to the big game. Well, the Owls haven't been there since a title win back in 2010. Derek Taylor, voice of the Blue Bombers on 680 CJOB, joins us from Hamilton with a preview. But first, given how many Black Friday ads are out there already, you can tell the fight for your holiday dollar is heating up early this year, and it's going to be an aggressive one. So how to navigate all those supposed bargains you're going to be bombarded with and make sure you get good deals and stick to your budget. We get some sound advice. I'll be honest with you, I had to double-check to make sure that today wasn't Black Friday. In fact, it's next Friday because I've gotten just a million ads in the past few days, emails all over social media, everything. People just bombarding me with special deals from magazines to clothing stores, electronics, travel, you name it. Everybody is looking for consumer attention this year around. Of course, uh, this year, uh, of course, there is uh, the idea that, A, uh, retailers are, and others are looking to this holiday season to make up for what's been a pretty lackluster 2023. And, of course, uh, shoppers everywhere are saying they're going to cut back this year. We're all going to be a little more frugal this holiday season. So there is a lot of competition for the uh, for the holiday dollar this year. And, of course, Black Friday kind of kicks off the whole season. But it used to just be – remember when it was just a day? Not that long ago, it was really about those images of people lined up and then storming through the doors and fighting over TVs and just pandemonium. Uh, Here's a scene from the show Superstore that kind of, that should bring you back a bit. This is the
1: dark night of our souls, a portrait of hopelessness.
0: Wow. We've lost Brad. The dark night of our souls. If you worked in retail at a Black Friday back then, it's it's better now. Most people do a lot of their shopping online, of course. Uh, But again, people are going to be frugal this year. So what is a good deal? Uh, We were speaking to Deloitte Canada a few weeks back. They figure that uh, average holiday spending per Canadian this year will be about $1,350. That's down 11%. So a lot of competition out there. And we thought we'd get you some advice about retail tactics at this time of year, how you can – take advantage of what could be some good deals and good ways to keep your holiday spending on budget. Barry Choi is a money expert at moneywehave.com, and he joins me now. Barry, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Listen, I don't know what's happened the past few days, but it feels like every single website I've ever looked at or paused at or, or email that I've anything I've bought, I must have seen and received about 300 Black Friday notifications <laughs> in the last 24 hours. Uh, wow, it's been really early, and it's really aggressive this year you are
2: not imagining things. uh, Exactly what you said. It's early and it's aggressive. I think there's a few reasons for that. I think a lot of retailers uh, are under the impression that consumers are looking to spend a lot less this year. So they're trying to catch them. I don't want to say off guard, but they want to present those deals as early as possible. Uh, So yeah, it's a really interesting time. Traditionally, Black Friday deals don't start this early with so many retailers, but it seems like everyone has already begun their Black Friday deals.
0: It is. And sometimes it can just be a little overwhelming because, I mean, obviously, like everyone, I'm looking to save some money on presents this year. This is not a bad time of year to do it, I think. But it's hard to figure out whether you're being um, played would be the (laughs) the right word because it feels like it sometimes like, wow, that's aggressive. Uh, What should we be watching out for uh, this time of year?
2: You know, I think it comes down to personal circumstances. So so what I mean by that is you should look at your budget first. So if you're looking to score some deals, and you're right, it's like sometimes the deals that were being presented right now during Black Friday won't be necessarily as good as what we've seen in the past. Like, you know, maybe even six months ago, because maybe they had a different deal at the time. But, you know, it is the unofficial start to the holiday shopping season. Uh, there's some great deals right now. So if, if you've planned ahead, you've created that that nice and naughty list already, you start shopping for your significant other, your parents, your kids, whoever, right? Uh, so, so there is definitely a huge opportunity to save. But I think as a consumer, you do need to at least take a look to see, is it really a deal? And more importantly, it's not a deal if you're buying it just for the sake of buying it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's where I fall into the trap. of You're like, I don't need that, but wow, it's a great deal. And then... <laughs> Which, which happens all the time. Um, so you're being bombarded by these ads. Uh, you should approach them maybe with some planning and a budget. I suppose you should also research what might look like a good deal because part of Black Friday sometimes is that you're basically being enticed into something and you should really educate about, about just how, as you mentioned, just how good a deal it actually is.
2: I will say this: I am very guilty of uh, impulse shopping during Black Friday. Sometimes I see a deal, and, and personally, I know it's a deal. So it's so the two big things: uh, travel and electronics. You, you right. know, a couple years years ago, I convinced myself, "Oh, I need a new TV. It's forty percent off." <laughs> Do You know what I mean? Yeah. Did not take take much convincing. Uh, but I will say this right now, especially with the cost of travel, some of the travel deals we're seeing are absolutely bonkers right now. Like, for example, this morning I noticed that Air Canada vacations. Has listed that you can save up to forty percent off sunny destinations for vacation packages. That includes like the Caribbean and Central America. In addition, if you're traveling to Europe for next year, uh, you you can save up to five hundred dollars per couple. But you really need to read the details because, like I was talking about those sunny vacation packages, you must book by November twenty third, and then the travel dates are February first to April thirtieth of next year. So again, you know, kind of kind of what we're saying, like yeah, it's a deal, but does it line up with? When you want to travel, does it make sense? So you always got to look at the big picture,
0: right? Plan ahead. I, I guess the, I guess the, the travel. I mean, travel has been so expensive lately. I guess the, it makes sense for companies like Air Canada Vacations to try to get people to commit to doing something five months from now and paying for it, right? Why, why not? Why not? Good business sense. What about the electronics thing? Because I I obviously one of the things that we think about is sort of those purchases you might you mightn't make. People wait for Black Friday now, right? To buy things as you mentioned, like a new TV or small appliances. Are there good deals out there this year? Because again, I've been bombarded by ads for stuff in the past <laughs> few days.
2: There's always good deals, but this is what I've realized with electronics. Some some brands, some models are absolute duds. Right, like you really got to read your (laughs) consumer reviews to figure out what you're looking for. So even though that TV is like eight hundred dollars off or whatever, is it worth it? That said, you you know my parents who are older they don't really care about all the features. They just need a new TV because the old one died. Uh, I saw like a sixty five inch generic brand television for four hundred bucks, and in my head I was like, even if this dies, like that's still a good deal. You know what I mean? Like I don't need to watch that.
0: Like, yeah. Not that long ago, a TV that size would set you back at least, you know, three four grand.
2: Exactly right. Yeah. It was just like, like just the idea of just like handing this to my parents, like, oh, here's a sixty inch flat screen TV, and like they're thinking exactly what you're saying, like it must cost you three grand. It's like no, it's four hundred <laughs> bucks at at yeah. no frills, like the super uh, the supermarket sells them now, right? Like it's hilarious.
0: It is. Um, I, one of the things that there's obviously what what part of black friday is there's a bit of there's obviously a lot of sales pressure going on right so you, there's that fear of missing out aspect to black friday which i think everyone <laughs> senses and you've mentioned uh in the past that companies know this so retailers will stagger their sales to try to get you to come back again and again and again and to buy more uh what should you be watching out for because now we're seeing sales a week Ten days ahead of time. There's gonna be stuff, no doubt there's then there's Cyber Monday. There's all sorts of different stuff you can oh, is there I time to dip your toe in or not? Or can you just will you miss out if you don't buy it right away?
2: There's a few different things, but let's talk about the timeline for a second. Right now we're in pre Black Friday. Then there's Black Friday, Black Friday weekend, then there's Cyber Monday, and then there's like Cyber Week, Travel Tuesday. It's become like a month long process. Uh generally speaking I find a lot of the pre-Black Friday deals. So what I'm talking about is like right now, what we're seeing to be pretty good. Uh, Typically on Black Friday itself, you see some even better deals, but not like a significant amount, maybe like a 10% difference. Uh, But for me, it's like, if you want to lock in your deal, get it now, right? Like if you've made that list, you know what you got to buy for the holidays or you got to replace like that small appliances you're talking about at home. Maybe you need an air fryer, who knows? Uh, And you see it on sale now, pick it up now. Don't worry about the cost because you're already getting... Getting a deal. Uh, but overall, yeah, they're always going to try to attract you to come back. Uh, I'll admit, like, I used to keep a big eye out on Cyber Monday because traditionally back in the day, that was more for electronics. Uh, so I used to buy portable hard drives. And way back in the day, I used to buy blank CDs, right? I, I still got a stack of them. I can't <laughs> even use them anymore. They're like coasters, right? Yeah. But uh, there's always going to be deals. And again, it goes back to what we are saying make sure you make a list of what you actually need uh, and set a budget because. Yeah, you're right. There is that fear of missing out. You could end up buying things just because it's a great deal. But if you're spending more than you had planned to, it's not really a deal anymore.
0: So that's one thing I was always because there was a time where Black Friday was sort of people storming, you know, future shop for TVs and and fighting. (laughs) Cyber Monday was kind of online sales for, for electronics. It feels like that's all changed now. You really don't have to go to the store in person anymore. Everything's online, and just about everything that you would want kind of goes on sale right off the bat. They just tend to put different stuff on sale over those days.
2: You know, you're 100 percent right, but it's kind of funny. It's like you know, we're as Canadians, we're used to seeing the video back in the day where Americans are getting literally crushed at Walmart or wherever people are just going nuts. But as you mentioned, now you can buy everything online, so there's just no real need to line up at you know one in the morning to get that TV. That said, I almost feel like it's a hack now to actually show up in person because no one shops in person anymore. Right. So it's like, oh, if you show up an hour beforehand, like you might actually get a, a really good deal because no one wants to go to the stores anymore. Everyone's just trying to do it online, right? So, uh, but at the same time, you know, you're talking about this how like retailers stagger their offers. Quite often they have door crashers that are only available in stores as a way to get you, get the foot traffic. And there are still some great deals. Uh, but as we talked about before the break, to me, it's always like, "What's your budget? Did you actually need it?" Uh, but again, I'm very guilty. Sometimes I see something, I it's like, "Yeah, I don't need this, but I, I want it."
0: Yeah, but what a great deal! What about uh, you've mentioned sort of loyalty points and point websites, which I've never used, which I gather are pretty popular. Uh, but what about what about using navigating the points uh, over this next few weeks?
2: You know, points, loyalty points in general, I write about this all the time. It's really interesting because it's an opportunity for you to earn more points or to to redeem your points uh, during Black Friday because this is, you know, realistically speaking, traditionally a time where a lot of people spend more money. Uh, for example, if you sign up for Triangle Select, which is a subscription-based enhancement to Triangle Rewards, you earn 10 times bonus CT money on all eligible uh, in-store purchases at Canadian Tires, Sports Check, Marks, and Party City. So this is a great way to earn additional points. Well, what's really good is you actually earn an additional 20 times bonus CT money on select in-store brands. So that's a total of 30 times the rewards you can get, which is a 12% return. So again, if you're spending a lot of money, you just do the math like, wait a minute, I can get a 12% return potentially. That's a really good deal. Alternatively, you've already found that deal and you're thinking to yourself, like, listen, I can actually cash in all my CT money, cash back points or whatever. You're getting a deal on top of the deal. So it's like almost like you're stacking deals. But then there's other programs such as Aeroplan. Like Aeroplan is crazy in the sense that they've got their own e-store. So when you buy things through their e-store during Black Friday period, you can up- earn up to 10 times the points. But what they also announced is if you pay with a certain Aeroplan credit card, you'll also get 10 times the points. So that's up to 20 times the points you can earn. So, so it's really interesting how retailers are actually using their loyalty points programs as another way to attract Black Friday shoppers.
0: Right. And you were mentioning uh, things like Rakuten and so on, where you can actually go onto a site that yeah. has loyalty that then brings you to a retailer site. So you're kind of accumulating points that way. I mean, again, this, what, this just demands, and I think people are a lot more conscious of this these days, it demands some planning and it demands your time, right? So if, if you're patient and you plan, there are deals to be had out there and ways of saving yourself money.
2: Yeah, and it's really just setting up yourself throughout the year, not just Black Friday. So sites like Rakuten or even the Aeroplan eStore, you're going to get those points no matter what. That cashback, no matter what as long as you're shopping with uh, one of the partner retailers. But during Black Friday, it's potentially to earn even more points. So I always tell people, if you're looking to, to save money, look for those e-stores, look for those loyalty programs to see what makes the, sense, makes the most sense for you. Obviously, you know, we're just talking about CT money. If you shop at Canadian Tire, you want to earn that CT money. It's, it's literally free money. Why wouldn't you want to use it, right? But let's just say you shop at a certain grocery store. You want to make sure you're, you're signed up with their loyalty program. So there's a lot of different ways uh, to save and spend with your loyalty points.
0: Yeah, I, I knew people who uh, got a free turkey every year based on their loyalty <laughs> points, which was great. And this is the eternal question. So I need to get—I don't know what—a new coffee grinder. Do I do it on Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or Boxing Day? Because back in my time, uh, you know, when I, you know, used to stand outside of a record store, you know, rest in peace record stores for <laughs> for hours on end to save, you know, four dollars on a record. Uh, Boxing Day was it. Like that was it. These yeah. days, though, is Boxing Day still something worth waiting for? Uh Boxing Day?
2: Not at all. I feel no. like like it was fun for Canadians back in the day. You're right. I now that you said the record store, I remember going to HMV after on Boxing Day and just like, oh man, a box in the at snow. D- in
0: yeah, the yeah, snow. Bo- yeah,
2: yeah. Like box set DVDs, Godfather collection for twenty bucks. Like you know, what I mean? It's like, what a deal! And then it's like, I don't even think I ever opened it, uh, but. <laughs> But these days, Black Friday is the way to go. Again, it's the unofficial start of the holiday shopping season. You can get the deals now, not just for yourself, but for your holiday shopping. Uh, And it's a great way to actually plan out your spending for the rest of the year.
0: Well, Barry, thank you so much for your time on this.
2: No problem. Anytime.
0: Thanks for tuning in on this Friday night. I was talking about Black Friday. It's not today, despite all the ads you may have seen already. It's actually next Friday. uh, But we were talking about some ways to navigate it. I was asking you if you even plan to do anything or you just want to ignore it. Sarah in St. Albert says, I will avoid Black Friday like the plague. I have done a massive clutter clearing. That's That's always fun to do, isn't it? I don't want more stuff just to toss later. Good one. I agree. I agree. I'm trying to cut back on stuff. There just isn't this year. You know. You have to end up with so much stuff, you don't know what to do with it. Uh, for gifts, it's good though. I always find this time of year is good for picking up some gifts, especially for family and so on. Uh, Ron says, coffee grinder, just buy instant. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I'll, t- I'll tell you, Ron, I, d- I didn't drink instant for a long time. Then I got this job and I'm kind of on my own a lot and I ended up drinking exactly what you recommended. So that's what I drink during the day. I drink it's instant coffee is so much better now than it was years and years and years ago. Uh, So I agree, Ron. Yes, at home, I have a coffee grinder. I have a coffee grinder. My dad got it for me for Christmas. I think he bought it on Black Friday. There you go. And it still works. So I actually don't need a new one. Uh, let me know, will you be avoiding Black Friday? Will you be taking part? Have you seen any good deals? What do you buy? What do you look for? Do you plan a budget? Do you really go at this strategically because I think that 's kind of what you got to do. If not, you just end up wasting money on stuff you don 't need right that 's what happens. You get roped into all those flashy ads, all those shiny objects uh, i 'm guilty of that. I confess you may have seen i don 't know if you caught this story this week this was the this was a truly disturbing and and very strange story so All of a sudden this week, there was these videos that started to appear on the social media site TikTok, you know, they're videos, uh, about people discovering, liking, and promoting the so-called Bin Laden letter to America. Now, he wrote this back in 2002. It was written uh, by the now deceased Al Qaeda leader and terrorist, justifying the 9/11 attacks. It all began with one user on the site uh, posing, uh, posting it herself, reading from the letter, specifically around the Israeli-Palestinian situation. That's really what caught people's eye and how, the way that U.S. support for Israel you know, justified the murders of 3,000 people, including Canadians. I mean, it's absolutely repugnant and ridiculous. But here's an example of just what was going on on the site.
2: This morning, I read Letter to America, which is Osama bin Laden's letter to America, explaining why he attacked Americans. And I am ashamed to say that I not only have never read this
0: letter, but I didn't even know this letter existed. It's wild and everyone should read it. Ah, no. (laughs) It's absolutely ridiculous, right? This is the kind of stuff that ends up on social media sometimes. The issue here was that it wasn't those posts that ended up being so well or so seen it was the reaction to it of course i'm adding to it tonight but i just thought it was such an interesting story and needed to be dug into a little bit but it was the reaction so of course i mean the the letter to america is absolutely awful it's anti-semitic and homophobic and it justifies murders and terrorism terrorism was kind of the basis for al-qaeda and the basis for for the the horrors that isis you know delivered upon the world um and, and, you know, and, and of course, what's ensued has been a mass condemnation of the video and those who shared it. Uh, headlines on websites such as C- CNN's read, some young Americans on TikTok say they sympathize with Osama bin Laden, for instance. I mean, it's a, in, absolutely ridiculous. A uh, U.S. Republican presidential nomination hopeful Nikki Haley said it's proof we need to ban TikTok. So what exactly is going on here 22 years after that? absolutely earth-shattering and horrific day 9-11 i think most of us who were there remember it vividly uh the collapse of the twin towers people you know are are people really celebrating a terrorist with blood soaking from his hands well not quite according to my next guest and and there's a reason why the backlash has actually amplified this more than the original um posted or posts did um could it be the reaction spreading the story a lot more uh, just before we do that though there's big tech news today sam altman is the ceo of ai juggernaut OpenAI. they created cre- OpenAI. they created chat gpt that we've talked about on the show before he was stepped down today after an internal review found he'd been not been forthcoming over representations made to the board this is a very big deal he was up there with sort of the the Steve Jobs and the, you know, that kind of, and, and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, those names. He was up there in that echelon at this point. In fact, yesterday, the 38-year-old was on stage at the APEC conference in San Francisco, where world leaders are gathered for a discussion on AI. And on a personal note, like four times now in the history of open AI, the, the most recent time was just in the last couple of weeks.
2: I've gotten to be in the room um, when we sort of like push the front, the sort of the veil of ignorance back and the frontier of discovery forward. And getting to do that is like the professional honor of a lifetime.
0: Right. And 24 hours later, he's gone out. Uh, with more on this, I'm joined by Scott Nover. He's a contributing writer on tech and AI for Slate. Uh, Scott, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I suppose it, it'd be hard not to, not to mention that the uh, CEO of uh, of OpenAI was was, was dismissed today. And, and that's, wow. I mean, that's big tech news. Uh, not something I know a ton about, but certainly in your wheelhouse.
1: Um, The CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, was dismissed by the board of directors. Uh, A real shock to the system. He's kind of the face of the artificial intelligence industry. um, And uh, Microsoft stock, which Microsoft is a major investor in the company, is already down. So um, it's definitely something to, to watch out for and see what actually happened in the days to come
0: right and 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 it's it's so I mean outside the tech world it seems that these CEOs are almost omnipotent right and and, and they're so rarely uh, I, I get the impression held to account by their own board of directors
1: right and some of them aren't even able to be like um, Mark Zuckerberg holds a control, a controlling stake in meta um he's kind of an island unto himself so uh it's rare that uh that some of these companies even have the option of ousting um their their CEOs or founders or things like that
0: Right. I, I was noticing that he was named one of the 100 most influential people by Time magazine for 2023. I mean, he's uh for listeners who don't know who he is necessarily, I mean, he's been ever, especially since ChatGPT has sort of taken the world by storm. He's a very big name all of a sudden.
1: He's a very big name. He would probably be on the list if it was like 20 names. So um he uh he is the face of AI at this moment, uh though I'm sure that will change. Um his company has uh ChatGPT and Dolly, which is an image generator. Um, it does all sorts of things, and it's uh, probably, it's kind of the way that, that consumers have been discovering um, artificial intelligence um, and this latest boom uh, cycle that we've been in since uh, it launched a year ago.
0: For, for um, are these are these organizations as married as we think of sort of you know we think of the Steve Jobses and the and the Mark Zuckerbergs and how and the Elon Musks and how tied the organization is to the one name and face. Is that the same thing with this company?
1: Um, That's an interesting question. I guess we'll see. Um, I think so. I think he has positioned himself um, as a very public face of OpenAI and of the movement um, and the industry. He's very visible. He does lots of uh, conferences and interviews and events and uh, TV features. He's speaking to world leaders. He's lobbying on behalf of the uh, the company. He's appearing before Congress and the European legislatures. Um, so he, he's kind of everywhere. I think he was at the big, um, you big
0: summit this week. So yeah, Asia Pacific and say, so, yeah, he was in San Francisco. He was talking to world leaders this week, sort of giving them the lowdown on AI. Yeah. So, uh, so he he's he's as
1: visible as you can get, uh, but he is a newer entrant to that uh, upper echelon of of tech figures. Um, in the last few years, he's he's, but he's really joined the ranks of the Zuckerbergs and Musks of the world very right. quickly.
0: Well, to be continued, I'm sure. To what we were going to talk about originally, which is this article you've written for Slate. Uh, just so listeners understand where this all began, because it, it's it was it was it just sort of came out of nowhere. And the headlines, of course, that emerged from it, you know, young people in America embrace viral video embraces osama bin laden is about as sort of scandalous as it can get where where did this begin because sometimes it's hard to follow the origin stories of these of these things it's truly
1: a a repugnant idea um and uh tickles the 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 senses of any uh, warm-blooded human being um, in a way that uh, leads you to to just have a gut reaction and and share it and and denounce it and everything like that. Um, yeah, so I noticed the I noticed the outrage to it first before I noticed the actual videos, and uh, that's kind of where my uh, story starts for Slate was uh, investigating how that actually came to be. And so my deconstruction of it has kind of landed that um, the original videos that um, a few dozen, maybe 100 people uh, posted on TikTok um, discussing the matter, I think it was probably an even smaller sum of people expressing outright sympathies to this letter that Osama bin Laden wrote twenty years ago, um, was very was was very small, uh, and the reaction to it was very large. And so, as things tend to do on the internet, they snowballed. But it was arguably the backlash to uh, some really odious videos that um, that blew everything out of proportion. And I think in that way, people lost the proportionality of of the entire incident. Um, Thing happened, huge backlash, but the thing that happened wasn't really widespread and it was only kind of, people were made aware of it really from uh, an outsized backlash.
0: Yeah, that's that's where I saw it. I mean, I saw the backlash long before I realized what was going on. And I mean, to be clear that in some in, and you make this argument very clearly, it was the backlash that drove the engagement on this, that this sort of would have come and gone without anyone ever noticing if it right. hadn't been focused on as being this sort of ultimate example of, of sort of online idiocy amongst a younger generation on a platform people don't really understand. And that
1: happens, you know, odious ideas are expressed all the time in free society and um, they are met with the full force of denunciation and for good reason. You know, if um, the Westboro Baptist Church is uh, protesting a, a military funeral, that's awful. And, you know, even though that's within the confines of free speech in America, like the, the outrage can sometimes uh uh, exceed the problem, though I would argue that that's a bigger problem that exists in the physical world. Um, so so lots of people say crazy, dumb things on the internet all the time. Um, and just because a few important people might have noticed it um, doesn't mean it was naturally going to sweep over the internet
3: anyway.
0: Right. Right. I noticed that there were some ensuing things that happened that sort of added some fuel to the fire. The letter itself had been posted, I believe, for years on the Guardian's website. It was taken down, so people started to... believe that was some sort of conspiracy. And then, of course, TikTok started to try to take the videos down themselves, and they banned the hashtag that was associated with it. So there was some movement after the fact that sort of allowed this to snowball from something pretty fringe into something that people were talking about and paying attention to in sort of major publications and across media in many places, especially in the US, but outside of the US as well.
1: Right. So there was some organic people were making videos. Some some people on TikTok rediscovered this letter that had been posted to the Guardian's website um, is back. It was published in 2002. Um, and so that organically happened, it seems. Um, and and so that was kind of trickling up in the in the traffic rankings on the Guardian's website. You can see what the most popular um articles are and that one was rising uh before all of this backlash and the guardian on wednesday took the article down and noticed this trend um and that kind of had uh there's this term the streisand effect where the the idea that you taking something down to hide it um makes more people kind of uh notice it in the first place and that's kind of a textbook example of what happened here the guardian took it down Um, And more people started talking about it on TikTok and Twitter and other social media sites and then mainstream news. And then TikTok, as a company responding to this outrage, started saying, you know, this actually, these violate our community guidelines, violates our site rules. We're going to start policing this and taking down any mention of people praising terrorists. Um, And so what we have is kind of a small problem and enormous backlash
0: right the virtuous circle becomes a vicious circle <laughs>
1: right and say? so it, but it's hard to when this when the snake is eating its own tail it's hard to identify where it started yeah. um and uh and that's understandable like if you see it on the internet you naturally think oh this was going viral but it's fundamentally not how it was transpiring on the native platform TikTok. Um, which is a machine of viral content and stuff goes mega viral. I mean, like tens and hundreds of millions of views every day. Uh, And this just didn't hit that scale. It doesn't mean it wasn't a problem. It it doesn't mean it didn't violate those site guidelines, but the proportionality was lost in the process as it mixed mediums and platforms.
0: Scott Nover is a contributing writer for Slate Magazine. We're talking about this whole issue around uh, a few people who posted videos sort of praising an Osama bin Laden letter written 21 years ago called Letter to America, which justifies the 9-11 attacks. It is a repugnant, repugnant diatribe. Uh, but it was picked up and people sort of cherry-picked some of the stuff around the Israeli-Palestine conflict and uh, decided to go with those. And, of course, the backlash was fast and furious because this probably fits into about a million stereotypes about younger generations, TikTok, and so on. But Scott, lots of kids get their, get their news from TikTok these days. I guess a lot of people, uh, older people, I'll say like myself, don't fully understand how TikTok works. So you know those all those articles you read where people quote people on Twitter and treat it like it's real, um, or X, as I should say. Uh, TikTok's kind of a different beast when it comes to what goes viral.
1: Yeah, uh, TikTok is incredibly segmented and personalized. Um, you hear a lot of chatter about their algorithm. It's really what makes the platform special. Uh, you go on, if you've never been on TikTok and you da- decided, oh, it's time in 2023 to download it, I'm going to give it a whirl. You will instantly, within an hour um, or probably 15 minutes, start seeing videos that are incredibly personalized to your taste and interest. Um, and you'll just notice that it works in a fundamentally different way than um Facebook or Instagram or Twitter in that the the feed is just way more uh powerful and uh, sensitive to your interests um and, but what what that makes is kind of everyone has their own social media experience on TikTok there are things there is no monoculture there are things that I have been on TikTok for 4 or 5 years that I have never seen I mean major trends that are widely reported you know, sea shanties. There was that whole thing about sea shanties right. a few years ago. I never in my life saw a sea shanty video. Um, because I guess I was never, you know, whatever, like some of the biggest stars on TikTok, Charlie D'Amelio is one of the biggest names on TikTok. has been for years. I have never in my life been served a Charlie D'Amelio, um, video. And so it, 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 it works in a different way, and it's hard to understand how it works if you're used to a different social media platform or mass media.
0: I, I suppose the, the final question would be, what should we take away from this? Because I've seen the right. outrage. People been, people are going to continue to talk about this, no doubt. I think uh, universally we can, we can condemn uh, Osama bin Laden and, and any words he's published over the years, uh, right. especially the repeating of them or the praising of them. But sometimes the technology, the medium here sometimes is the message, right?
3: Yeah,
1: I mean, I think I think
0: proportionality is the thing that I
1: want to leave people with. Um, people express idiotic sympathies all day, every day, and fail to understand context of major things. And they might cherry pick, some people on TikTok might cherry pick um, portions of Osama Bin Laden's letter and say, you know, he has a really... Um, uh, he has a critique of American imperialism that makes uh, sense in 2023 with regard to America's involvement in the middle East to right. even, right. to even go that, to even go in that direction, you have to be a special kind of stupid to just not even read the rest of the letter where um, he is uh, it's just full of kind of anti-Semitic, homophobic and um, Islamic fundamentalist propaganda and garbage you know, it's, it, is, it is chronically stupid, what these videos said, but there weren't that many of them. They didn't have that much reach. And the fact that we're talking about them is not because they were on TikTok, but because they were kind of discovered elsewhere and the reaction to it made it a huge thing. And I think that is what we need to understand about the way that information flows, the culpability of TikTok, which has been removing these videos um, and the way that people are communicating, putting out dumb ideas and the way in which they are being told they are stupid. Scott, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
4: We
0: love the Grey Cup. We love the Grey Cup. This is our about our fifteenth or sixteenth Grey Cup.
4: Being here with friends, it doesn't matter what team you cheer oh, for. Um, <laughs> just people from across the country and uh, just coming together—it's it, it's really a Canadian thing. We met in 1984 at a bar on Robson Street, and now
0: she's been coming to the Grey Cup for how many years
3: now? Sue? made it to 24.
0: Yeah, my Global News former Global News uh, Toronto colleague Sean O'Shea was out on the streets of Hamilton today talking to people. He met a woman in this Grey Cup dress, which is. Just unbelievable looking. She's the, you know, she's the hit. She's the hit on the streets of Hamilton. Of course, things are in full swing. The weather's, I gather, been pretty nice um, as the festivities continue ahead of Sunday's 110th Grey Cup. The first ever showdown between the Blue Bombers and the Alouettes in the final. Can you imagine? All these years, those two teams have never faced off in a Grey Cup. It's very much the tale of a powerhouse versus an upstart the Bombers playing in their fourth straight Grey Cup looking for a third title domination not seen really since Edmonton won five straight more than 40 years ago uh, here's the league's outstanding Canadian Brady Oliveira, talking about another trip to the finals after the win over BC last week
2: yeah it's exciting you know we, we've earned the right to have another week together um, you know this is a special group and I really wanted another another week together with this group um, and I love Every everyone in this locker room. So the fact that we earned another week together uh, is huge. So it's going to be a fun week in Hamilton.
0: Now, they they were by all in, for all intents and purposes, they were supposed to be playing the Toronto Argonauts, who had a fantastic regular season, then somehow managed to completely self destruct in the Eastern Conference Final against the Alouettes. Um, so perhaps the Owls are as surprised, and their fans as surprised as anyone, uh, to be there this week in Hamilton to play for the Grey Cup um, after making the making the gray cup as a rookie back in 2010. That's the last time Montreal played in a gray cup when they won in 2010. It has taken offensive lineman, uh, Christian Matt 13 years to get back. He says a lot has changed with the franchise since it was purchased by a pretty well-known, uh, Quebec tycoon, Pierre Pierre Carl Peladeau. Mr. Peladeau ha- has done everything for this team and we're very grateful to him, uh, because without him, who knows where the Alouettes would be right now. Um, but like you said, it's a special feeling. Uh, Montreal is a special city. Uh, when you're winning, when you're, you're getting into the playoffs, everything becomes a little more special. And uh, we're looking forward to giving a good show this week. Derek Taylor is voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on 680 CJOB, and he's in Hamilton now. Derek, thanks so much for your time tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell me, it's, it looks like a grand old time. Even Hamilton's, uh, Hamilton knows how to put on a show. It looks like it's been a, a success already, despite the fact that neither Toronto and obviously not Hamilton uh, are playing in this game.
4: Yeah, no, it's it's been great, right? Hamilton hosted the 2021 Grey Cup, and we were still coming out of COVID. So they were not able to do all the things they had planned. So 2023 rolls around, and now all those years of planning can, can come out Uh, We left the hotel to get a bite to eat. And there was a lineup into the restaurant because they're trying to get a bite to eat before Carrie Underwood, who's playing right around the corner. We were at the casino in Niagara Falls for the CFL awards last night. Like they are green day is doing halftime of the great cup. Like Hamilton is, is blowing it out and doing it right. It's so great to see. And so happy for the people who have put in years of work to make this happen.
0: Yeah. it, It really looks like a big league affair this time around. I mean, it's great to see, um, and people, I mean, I know that Montreal wasn't really expected to be there. I guess in Winnipeg now, you might as well just buy your tickets for the Grey Cup at during ex- the exhibition season, right?
4: Just don't ever say that if me a Bomber fan. They hate when I say things like, "No, they're the clear favorite in the West." Right? They <laughs> hate it. Uh, they won 15 games last year. Free agency, they they bring back all their stars. They win 14 games this year. Though it may not have necessarily felt like it, uh, but no, they were they were expected to be right back here and things broke right for them, but the fact that Montreal is here, uh, Christian Matt there was talking about Pierre Carl Pellido. When free agency uh, came about in February, the Alouettes didn't have an owner. The sale wasn't done, or I don't know where it was in the stages, but it wasn't done until March, so they couldn't go after free agency, either their own guys or other guys. And They needed a coach, and okay, well, they managed to get one together, and honestly, man, I thought they'd be the worst team in the CFL by a good margin, and That they are not and they are in this game is incredible and something they should be just amazingly proud of. Even though Toronto had to drop like nine hammers on their collected feet last week to lose that game, yeah,
0: yeah. I was uh, somewhere. Someone saying they tried to throw in the right, the right. They tried to throw in the white towel, but it got picked off. That was the, uh, that was yeah. It was a terrible. <laughs> yeah. It was. I mean, I felt bad for the Argonauts because it would have been. I mean, obviously, I'm from Montreal, so you know, I'll cheer for the Owls, But it really looked like it was destined to be a, a you know a, a showdown between uh, between the Argos and the, and the Bombers, like it was last year in Hamilton, no less. I guess the great thing about the Grey Cup is that. I mean, just watching, people are wearing every every uniform in the CFL there. This, I saw a guy in a Lions, uh, all with his Lions gear, a guy in Stampeders gear. I mean, it's CFL fans from around the country congregate, regardless of who's playing.
4: Yeah, there's one building right across from the, the main hotel downtown, Hamilton, where eight of the parties are, and then the Spirit of Edmonton is around the corner. When you're walking through that building, you're going to the eight teams parties, plus the Atlantic Scooters have a party every year, and you just see all the characters. And I I ran into former uh, longtime CFL quarterback, Kevin Glenn, Uh, for folks who don't know, uh, Glenn is a guy who at one point was a member of every single CFL team, all nine of the current ones. So every year at the CFL, you may run into the wandering Glens who are nine people, each of whom has a different Kevin Glenn jersey from a different (laughs) team. And you go, man, I love CFL fans. They are amazing. And the sense of humor is priceless.
0: Yeah. And just the love of it. You know, I mean, one of the things about growing up in Montreal, of course, is that when the team left, it kind of took the, the air out of it a bit. And it's always been it's always been a tiny and I don't mean this as a criticism of my hometown, but it's a bit of a fickle market. right? Like when they're winning, everyone goes and when they're not, it's no one. No one pays much attention. Um, but it's good. I imagine there must be some Montreal fans there, too, sort of taking this in this year.
4: Oh, yeah, there are there are for sure, even though, you know, there was a no chance that people thought they would be here. Like, they should have – I think everybody, apart from maybe the Alouettes themselves, thought they were going to get smushed by Toronto and it would be over. So, quick pivot and let's get to Hamilton. Unfortunately, it's not too terribly far, right? It would be a very long drive, but it would be drivable. And tickets were still available once that Eastern final was over. So, yeah, you, you see some along the way. And, I mean, you see a lot of the French media here, which – for uh, players from Montreal and Quebec who play for the Bombers. They're just delighted. Oh, we're doing interviews in, in my native tongue? This is amazing. I love it. Bring me more.
0: Yeah. Of, of course, Pierre-Carl, Pierre-Carl Pelletot owns media in Quebec, so that's been part of part of why this has been successful, is his papers are his media or outlets are really covering, covering the team in a big way, a way that they didn't do uh, quite in the past. You must bump into the same bomber fans or you must see the same people you've been now this would be well i guess it would technically be four years in a row i don't know if you got to make it to four straight given all that was happening uh, a few years back but uh you must start to see this recognize some faces year in year out now after all these trips to the big game
4: oh i ran to one gentleman today i was walking around the party with a couple of couple of friends and i ran into one guy who's at every blue bomber practice and i see him every practice (laughs) and we talk every practice about oh liam dobson looks good just talking about random players Saw him today, and it takes you a second to go, oh, right, from Winnipeg, but you're here in Hamilton. Okay, it makes sense. And, uh, you know, folks who, who remember me from – I worked in Saskatchewan for 2019 and 2021. Folks who remember me calling games there. Folks who remember me off of SportsCenter and the CFL on TSN. And, mm-hmm. and, yeah, you just run to all sorts of people, and they're, uh, they're so nice. See, I mean, Canadians just in general are so nice, but CFL fans love people who love the CFL.
0: Yeah. And some of the characters, too. I mean, again, Sean O'Shea, my old colleague, I don't know if you bumped into him wandering around today, but he interviewed this woman in the Grey Cup dress, who I gather is a bit of a legend as well. <laughs>
4: yeah. Man, they take it seriously. People plan their year around going to Vancouver in 2024. Let's go. How do we plan this? Where are we going to stay? Who are we going to be with? Like, it's it's a big deal for some of these fans. And that's, I mean, you you can't pay for that kind of support from from fans.
0: Yeah. How is the weather, by the way? I, I should have looked. I was going to look this up, and then it slipped my mind. But I'm thinking, you know, November in Hamilton. I lived in Toronto for a while. Uh, it, it can be touch and go. Usually, it's it's warmer than the prairies generally, but it, it can also get yeah. pretty pretty not so great. Look pretty warm. It, today was today was a little chilly. Yesterday,
4: I was driving back from practice, and so there was a sign, a digital sign that said 19 degrees. Wow. I'm not sure that was 100 percent accurate, but it, honestly, it wasn't far. I was in a t shirt yesterday. Today it was a little chillier and bundled up. Tomorrow looks like a high of 14 for the day before the game and then seven degrees for kickoff of the Grey Cup on Sunday. Uh, In November, I I will not argue with that. I've been to some very cold championship games, so I'll take seven and I'll, I'll barely
0: wear a light sweater. Yeah, Green Day may have to bundle up a little more than they're used to. I always like some of the, some of those some of those halftime shows where the people are like in like full on parkas doing trying to do their do their sets. Uh, Derek, the only Grey Cup final I ever saw was the Blue Bombers win back I think it was 1988 in Ottawa. That goes back a mighty long time. Uh, but wow, what a team! What a team they've been in the past five years. I mean, it's it's. I mean, they're they're on. The, I don't want to jinx anything. I know how superstitious people are at this time of year, but they're on the cusp of of sort of. I mean, we could talk about dynasty at this point.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned it in your lead-in. No team's been to four straight great cups since the Edmonton Elks, who went from seventy-seven to eighty-two and won the last five. Before that, it was the nineteen-sixties when the Hamilton Tiger Cats went to a bunch of great cups in a row. Like uh, it's it's the team of a generation. We've had you know teams this this millennium. Ottawa went to three and four. Calgary went to three and four, and I think five and seven. Uh, but, no, I mean, going to four in a row, just the number of bad luck things you have to avoid. Uh, in 2021, to get to the Grey Cup, they had to get through a West Final in a brutal snowstorm in Winnipeg, and they turned the ball over five times in the first half. And <laughs> somehow they escaped that game with their life, right? You have to avoid Toronto nine turnovers in a game last week. You have to avoid stuff like that, those, those little things that creep up. So it's, it's a real testament. To, uh, to the Bombers, how they build their team, uh, their coach, Mike O'Shea, who, I mean, he's now been with the Bombers for 10 years, but there was a spot in that 2016 season where there was a real call for, okay, we need to fire this guy and move on to the next head coach because it just wasn't going well. But slowly but surely, you make a plan, you stick to the plan, the plan works, and then a Hall of Fame quarterback comes available for trade in 2019 because of a butterfly effect of circumstances and all of a sudden they're in four straight Grey Cups. It's, it's an incredible story, and you know, we don't know when this dynastic run will end. We just know we're in the middle of something great.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, Michael Shea years ago, when he was with the Argonauts, taught me, he brought me to his restaurant and made, and made subs for me. So <laughs> Michael Shea is a great guy. <laughs> like, he's a really cool dude. Uh, I mean, but on the other side of the, of, of the, uh, on the other side of the field, a couple of guys, including the quarterback and the head coach who know the bombers very, very well. This isn't the alouettes of old. I mean, Jason Moss and Cory and, uh, Cody Fajero are, are they, they, uh, Fajero, rather, uh, they know the bombers inside out.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Fajardo, the starting quarterback for Montreal, and Zach Kolaris, the starting quarterback for the Bombers in the Grey Cup, they were teammates in Saskatchewan in 2019. It was Kolaris' concussion in the very first game of that season that led Fajardo to come into the game. He took over the next week, and he became a star that year. He was the West nominee for most outstanding player that year, signed multiple contracts that have made him a millionaire, and you go, oh, man, they've, they've come a long way together. And, and Fajardo tells great stories of that year. You know, it was his first time as a starter, and Zach wasn't going to play. You know, he had the brain injury. He was on the six-game injured list. But, he, but Zach was always there to help him with stuff. Cody would say, wow. he would leave notes in my locker to tell me to watch out for this, or I, I saw this on film, or, you know, hey, just, just, you know, if you want, feel free to ask me for any advice. And just couldn't praise Kolaris uh, enough. Uh, so yeah, they, they know each other super well. They met, gosh, three times this regular season. They met three times last regular season. The year before, it was the COVID year. They met twice, plus once in the playoffs. The year before, three times, plus one in the playoffs. They are very familiar with, uh, with one another, Cody Fajardo and then Jason Moss the last couple of years in Sask. Yeah, there probably aren't a lot of secrets uh, between the those two and the Bombers.
0: Right. Uh, so keys to victory here, I guess, I guess for Winnipeg, it's just do what Winnipeg does best. And for the Alouettes, it's good. They're going to have to try and have a, a big game on defense and obviously try to do something on offense. Because I gather just looking at I mean, I think I saw the game back on Canada Day where they just couldn't do anything against the Bombers.
4: Yeah, for, from the Bombers sake, they they to me have multiple ways in which they can win a football game, right? They can win the game passing of the five highest scoring games in the CFL this year. The Bombers have five, all five of them. Their offense is fantastic. They can win uh, games running the football with Brady Oliveira, the most outstanding Canadian. And last week uh, they sacked the BC quarterback Vernon Adams nine times. They can can absolutely win games on defense and special teams as well. So, I mean, the Bombers have all that going for them. The Alouettes, they they have defense and they have special teams. They have eight touchdowns on defense this year, four more on special teams, and they added a handful in that Eastern final as well. But their offense, I mean, they score fewer points than they allow. They did so in the regular season. You go, okay, you're going to need to ride the variance, right? You're going to need those big plays, the 101-yard interception return or the massive kickoff return. And, and, you know, big plays on offense are going to be your way because if you want to go toe-to-toe with, with the Bombers, it, it's, it's probably not going to go well. They played twice in the regular season – the Alouettes managed six offensive points in two full football games. So yeah,
0: it, it was, a, yeah. it was anemic. It, I, I don't know if you're allowed to make predictions, but do you have, do you have one?
4: Uh, I do. Um, I, I just look at this and I was there for both meetings early in the season and I've seen Montreal's fantastic run to end this season and I, I look at this and go, the Bombers are going to win this game. I've been saying by, by between 18 and 23 points. And it's just, a, it's, <laughs> it's just a number of more than two scores. Just for, for all the reasons I mentioned, the, the confluence of events that have to happen, in my mind, for Montreal to have success, are they going to happen twice in a row, two weeks in a row? Uh,
0: I just, yeah, it would be I a bit of a miracle. It. 18 yeah, to 23 points spread. Derek, thank you so much. I'll be, watch, I'll be listening on, uh, on Sunday. Good luck. Enjoy the game.
4: If, if, if it does happen between 18 and 23, I pull the rabbit out. Just uh, just think of me on Monday.
2: Uh,
0: did you have any hometown hockey heroes? I don't mean someone who played in the NHL or someone who was a big star. I mean someone who was known in your community specifically. Um, a hometown hockey hero, they could have played something else, but just someone who everybody in town knew. And now this normally happens, obviously, in smaller places. Um, I grew up in montreal in the 70s so when it came to hockey i mean the nh the canadians they dominated absolutely everything, including the imaginations of all the kids growing up there. Um, you know, and, and then I lived at Edmonton for a while when I was younger, uh, right, at the, right at the beginning of the Oilers franchise, when the Oilers went, went, arrived in the NHL. Of course, they had Wayne Gretzky. So that dominated everything. So I never actually lived in a place where um, you didn't have NHL stars at your doorstep. right? And I realized reading this book that we're about to talk about that I'd actually missed something. Because in smaller places, although everyone, of course, growing up in a smaller town right across the country probably dreamed of going to see their favorite team at least once, whether it be at Maple Leaf Gardens or the Montreal Forum or you name it, right, Northland's Coliseum at the time, um, going to see their team live, their NHL team, um, they probably got to see a lot more hockey than I did by following like a Junior A team or a Senior League team because they played around the corner and the tickets were usually either free or not expensive. And you went with the community. It was often a lot of kids. I see that here. Uh, Victoria obviously has a junior team in the WHL called the Royals. And, you know, the games are pretty well attended. I, I don't get a chance to go as much now because obviously I'm, I'm on the air when they play. Um, but for a while, I did get a chance to go a lot. And, the, you know, the rink was always packed. Lots of kids, um, lots of families, lots of lo- lo- people who are loyal to the team. And it's just a really cool atmosphere. It's definitely not the NHL. But there's something really great about it. Um, so, you know, if you grow grew up away from those meccas of hockey, uh, away from those players you watch on screens across the country every Saturday night who hoist the cup, hoist the cup every spring, um, doesn't mean you lack hockey heroes. Instead, you know, for generations, people across this country have supported their local teams uh, in any number of leagues, and they've latched on to the snipers and the brawlers and everybody else, the grinders and so on that might not be familiar names in other provinces, even in other cities but are legends in their own communities. And those are the stories that my next guest set out to find and share in his new book. Uh, And in fact, he knows this story well because it's how he grew up in Pictou, Nova Scotia. You'll know Ken Reed from Sportsnet, but he's also an author, first of the bestseller Hockey Card Stories, True Tales from Your Favorite Players, and five others. His new book is called Hometown Hockey Heroes. Again, it takes you from his hometown of Pictou, Nova Scotia, once home of his favorite the mariners and a certain number eight east of cornerbrook newfoundland were the uncle of a future penguins and team canada superstar um won the allen helped win the allen cup back in the mid-80s and he became the stuff of legend in cornerbrook newfoundland here is uh uncle and nephew i've heard a lot about you know
4: about him and, and him being a good player but i know that uh he was a really good hockey player. Everyone talks about that.
3: Lots of great memories of Cornerbrook, I think. Uh,
1: my best memories is of the people in Cornerbrook. Uh, the town were, were very welcoming, uh, very proud and supportive of our hockey team. Uh,
0: that was Robbie Forbes. Of course, he played in Newfoundland. His nephew, Sidney Crosby, of course. It's just one of the many stories in this book and uh, one of the great ones. And Ken Reed joins me now to tell us all about it. Ken, thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. This is a, this really reads like a labor of love. Uh, and for you, I guess it started all back as a kid. You were one of those who had a hometown hockey hero. Yeah, you have to write
3: what you know. So I know small towns and I, I think I know hockey. So like a lot of Canadians, I didn't grow up arm's length from the Montreal Forum or Northlands Coliseum and if I wanted to see a game in person, uh, the biggest game in town were the Picto Mariners, the junior city champs from Nova Scotia four years in a row in the mid-80s. The hero of the team in my eyes was a guy named number eight, Dana Johnson. Everybody called him Teapot. Soft set of mitts. If you needed a winner, he'd score. So he basically captured the hearts of all the kids in town and including myself. And of all my buddies, I'm probably the guy who still talks about him the most. So I figured, you know what? I, I can't be alone. I can't be the only guy out there who has a a hometown, hero, because in hockey, we always talk about, oh, that guy would have made it if. So maybe I twisted around a bit and I said, you know what? There's a lot of guys who who didn't make the NHL, but still made a huge impact on, on tons of young hockey fans and made them fall in love with the game. And Teapot did that for me. And I guess I discovered from this book that there's lots of people out there like me and there's lots of hockey heroes like Teapot. Have you said that? There's only one Teapot, but there's lots of guys like him.
0: Yeah, I was reading through it, of course. I actually grew up a a short bus ride from the Montreal Forum and I occasionally got to see my heroes play live, but not often. It was expensive. And and because of it, there wasn't really that kind of hometown hockey where I was. So reading through the book, I'm like, wow, I would have loved to have been able to see that much hockey when I was that age. Because to me, you know, the Gila Fleurs and the Steve Schutz seemed like they were on a completely different universe. Uh, and yet reading through your book, so many of these heroes, what made them so important was that they were just an arm's length away from the communities that everyone grew up in.
3: Yeah, that's cool that you got that, Ben, because I was hoping that people who grew up in a city with an NHL team would kind of be like, go, oh, wait, there are other guys like that. And so, yeah. So, I mean, when you're one of the guys in this book, I mean, guys would see you around town like we'd see Teapot around Pictou all the time at the arcade or walking downtown or playing ball. And and you could see him. And I mean, if you're growing up in Montreal, you would see Guy Lafleur on the ice. But unless you really knew how things work, you wouldn't you wouldn't see Guy around town all the time. And when you cheered for your town, you actually cheered for the kids and men who grew up in your town. All the guys in this in this book were just were just dudes from their hometown who played hockey because they loved it. And I think a lot of them were shocked to to know that they made such a big impact on on kids and, and still impacting them all these years later. But like that was one of the fun parts for me was calling guys and the guys going, really, they they're still talking about me They really there's a guy out there who still talks about me. So that was that was fun.
0: Yeah, one of the great moments in the book, too, is Teapot wondering why everyone's wearing number eight around him. Because <laughs> he took number eight from a player that he grew up loving, a local player that he loved, and every, he's yeah. wondering, why is everyone wearing number eight? And you finally have to let him know, like, wow, that's the kind of impact that they had.
3: Seriously. Like, I'm sure in Montreal where you grew up, everybody wanted to wear number 10. So in Picto, everybody wanted to wear number eight. It turns out, though, that Teapot wore number eight because of a guy named Wayne Woodacre, who kind of bookends the book. Wayne's a guy... I got to put it in there. He's my Aunt Gail's brother. And uh, he went from the Pictou Town League, okay, non-contact men's beer league, to a tryout for the Hartford Whalers the next year. He was about five, six years older than Teapot. So Teapot looked up to him. And me and my buddies all looked up to Teapot. And there used to be fights at the start of every year, Ben, fighting for number eight. Who wants number eight? And we would scrap. It was nuts. Every couple of years, you'd get eight. But, yeah, Teapot was at what we call the Teapot Cup one year, Boxing Day. And he was with my buddy, Robbie Landry. He looks around. Everyone's wearing, you know, their beer league sweaters or whatever. And people goes, why is everyone wearing number eight? And Robbie just goes, because of you, T. Like, you were the man. So, yeah, if you go back to pick, though, everywhere, everybody wears number eight. And it's funny. My son, he's a goalie in hockey, but in baseball, he wears number eight. My best buddy, his daughter plays for Mount A. She wears number eight. So we've kind of passed that on to our kids, which is which is kind of fun.
0: Well, the teapot legacy lives on and on and on. Yeah. What was yeah. also interesting, being a reporter, obviously, or having had been a reporter for a really long time, is how you went about, I think, having first-hand experience with it really helped, too, is how you go about finding these stories, too. Because a lot of these were, you know, there was small-town coverage of all these teams as important to the town as big league coverage at the forum was, or Maple Leaf Gardens back in the day. But you need to go dig for these individual stories in each of these locations.
3: You did. Like, I mean, most of these guys aren't on a hockey database. You know, you just call around, get get first-hand stories of people that were in the rink, or there might be the odd newspaper article. For some of the guys, there were quite a few newspaper articles, but for a lot of them, there were not. So in a way, if you're talking about a kid that you watched in the mid-1980s, it's kind of folklore, right? Like So I had to separate the folklore from from fact. But in a way, I kind of let the folklore live because, look, if Teapot scored a goal in front of twenty five hundred people in the Glasgow stadium, which I remember, I remember it in my own way. He remembers in its own way. There's not necessarily a newspaper account of it. And that made the book a lot of fun for me. There was a guy in the book, Cowboy McTeer, who played out in Camberley, British Columbia. Right. And the big thing one night was his team played the Soviet national team. This is like four years before seventy two. And I'm told of that through the eyes of Cowboy's son, because Cowboy's passed. But his son's talking about it. Just, you know, I remember sitting there with his aunt and they're playing the Russian team and how the mystique of it all. And it was so much fun going back to a time where where rinks were full of cigarette smoke, maybe some beer bottles, maybe some other kind of smoke. I can guarantee you there was other kind of smoke when the Picto Mariners played back in the day because my dad's rule was just don't go down by the Zamboni because that's where the bottles fly from and they smoke the funny cigarettes. I loved hearing the stories from, from all these guys and girls of, of what their rinks were like in St. Albert. 800 people packed in a rink in St. Albert, Alberta, to watch a senior team called the St. Albert Comets play the Polish national team in 1975. And there's so many people in the rink that they're lined up to get fries from the canteen. And a guy falls, his foot comes through the roof of the canteen because he's trying to get up on the roof to watch the game. So it was it was a different time, but it's a time, I think, that, Uh, We're still capable of, we have junior teams. We have senior teams all across Canada. Please get out and watch them because hockey, as this book shows you, is more than just the NHL. I love the NHL, but I love this stuff as well.
0: Yeah, and that was what really stood out about it too, and that's where I started feeling some real hockey envy, is especially as a kid when you're obsessed with yeah. it. You're right; it doesn't matter if it's Guy Lafleur or the guy who plays for your junior A team. I mean, they are they're all growing up to you, and they're heroes, right? And and the fact that at a certain age you got to watch a lot more hockey live than I did. See, Ben, I was envious of you when
3: I was growing up. I would write. I remember writing in a, my grade five year, yearbook, or my teacher inscribed it something like, "You'll get to the Montreal Forum one day." All I wanted to do was get to the Montreal Forum and watch the Canadians live. But in the meantime, I'm watching the Picto Mariners in teapot every Saturday night. I don't know then how important that is to me now. But I did get to the Montreal Forum. I got there in grade seven. But the whole time, the Mariners were like they were special, too. Like I always say, if I have a time machine, I'd go back to a Picto Mariners game in the winter of 1985. Going to the Montreal Forum, is it was a religious experience, And but maybe going to the to the Picto Mariners I don't know that was like going to bingo beside the church like it was still awesome
0: the story about Sidney Crosby's uncle playing in in Cornerbrook and just lighting it up is a great one as well because <laughs> what what a great what a great story about just hockey and how popular it can be in towns far far away from the nearest NHL team yeah this story
3: was amazing to me I met Sid's uncle a few years ago his name's Robbie Forbes If you're old school around Nova Scotia hockey circles, you'll hear about Robbie Forbes. And we went to Hockey Day in Canada a few years ago in Cornerbrook, and people were still talking about Robbie Forbes. And I I messaged Robbie, I'm like, you're still a big deal over here. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's kind of laughed it off. So when I was doing this book, I go, well, I I have to talk to Robbie because I know he had a big impact on Cornerbrook Royals in 85, 86, when the Cornerbrook Royals won the Allen Cup. He's a guy who lights it up in junior. He briefly plays in Laval in the Quebec League with Mario Lemieux. So there's the connection there. Like he's a teammate of a guy who would later be a teammate of his nephew and owner of his nephew's team in Pittsburgh. But he lights it up in the Maritimes in the junior ranks. Then he goes to UNB, lights it up there, sets the scoring record. And after one year, he's like, "Okay, that's enough. I'm going to try pro. So he, he has something lined up with St. Louis. It doesn't quite happen. So Robbie ends up trying out for the Nova Scotia Oilers, the American League farm team. Of the Edmonton owners. And Ben, if you could picture it at this time, Robbie's a slightly undersized, offensively skilled, left-handed shooting center who wears a Jofa helmet. Uh, the owners kind of have one of those guys, right? His name is Gretzky. So they're not desperately in need of offensive guys like that. So the owners send down a tough guy named Max Vindorf, who takes the last spot on the roster. So Robbie's kind of goes, What what do I do now? Where do I go? So he had a friend who was playing senior hockey in Newfoundland. Well, why don't you come to Newfoundland? Make a couple phone calls? Sure. Makes a drive to North Sydney, takes the ferry to Porto drives to Cornerbrook. Here I am. He kind of finds out that the year before, Cornerbrook had lost in stunning fashion in the Allen Cup final. And the mission is to win the Allen Cup. So he lives. I love this part, Ben. He lives not above a bar, but below a bar with some other dudes and he becomes a scoring sensation in a wild league where there's tough guys. There's players called imports that they bring in. A lot of them have played in the NHL. And the beauty part of this is he kind of finds a second home in Cornerbrook. people there fall in love with him. He falls in love with the people. But the best part about this is for me anyway, Robbie was one of the few guys I could find footage of because there's video of the Cornerbrook Royals winning the Allen cup in 86 and it's shot wide and you, you can't, Like, there's no play-by-play saying this is Robbie Forbes and blah, blah, blah. But I'm watching and I go, that's Robbie Forbes. Because there's a guy on Corner Brook who's skating with his shoulders way up, his top hand high on his stick, his bottom hand real close, and he's whipping it on the backhand, just kind of flapping around. I'm like, that looks exactly like Sidney Crosby. And that was Sid's uncle. So Sid's (laughs) uncle, Robbie Forbes, scoring sensation in Corner Brook there's a guy who was drafted in the first round of the NHL draft who talks about watching Robbie Forbes as a kid going, he was my Wayne Gretzky. He was my Steve Eiserman. And when you watch him, you go, wow, that's Sidney Crosby. But in 1985 in Newfoundland, people still talk about him. He still talks about him. So it's a two, that's the other thing in this book. It's a two way street. In a lot of ways, our players got just as much out of these communities as, as the communities got from these players. Because when you think about a lot of these players, their goal was, Obviously, like everybody else it was the NHL, but I think they found out as well that there's more to hockey than the NHL, and you can still make that connection with fans, whether you're playing for the St. Albert Comets, the Cornerbrook Royals, the Summerside, whatever they were called back in the day, any team really, the, the Brantford Smoke. There's, it's, it's still, you still have fans. You still make an impact. Now, kids aren't open and packs so peachy with your face on it across the country, but you're just as well known in your small town as these other guys are across the country, which is which is one of my takeaways from the book.
0: You worry, do you worry at all that a bit of that? I mean, you know, I I still know that junior games are packed i mean it still exists right you see it when you're i've been on election tours in the winter through smaller towns and hockey's still such a big deal the the junior team in, in the local team is such a big deal but you see a lot more of it than i do D- do you do you worry at all that 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 mystique is is slipping away a bit or is it just kind of an age thing it's just not the same uh as when you were young
3: bit of both the mystique is probably slipping away but it's different mystique right like For me, going to a small town now is like going to a Kitchener. And I was at a Kitchener Rangers game there a couple weeks ago. It was awesome. Old barn packed. It was wicked. Um, When I go back to my hometown now, there's no Junior C team anymore, but there's a Junior A team that the kids can cheer for. The game's always going to be different. The game's always going to be changing, but it's still there. You just have to maybe go out and make a bit of an effort. The world is designed, Ben, as you know, for us to sit on our phones and sit at home and order in our food and watch games on TV But it's just as easy to go out and watch a game. Maybe not as easy. You have to move, but it's out there, man. There's games. There's games every night in any town. There's games. It doesn't matter if it's junior, senior, a beer league or something. My son plays minor hockey. There's games every night in town. All you got to do is walk to the rink. Rink fries cost a little bit more than they did in the day. Uh, You probably can't inhale a lung dart in the arena anymore like you did back in the day. But yeah, the price is right. It's often free, right? I like my hockey like I like my beer free, free and free light. So, yeah, it doesn't cost too much. The book is called Hometown Hockey Heroes. Ken Reed, thank you so much. Ben, absolute pleasure, buddy.